You're listening to the Bethel Community Church Podcast. Our podcast normally showcases our weekly sermons here in Chicago at 7601 West Foster. Now, podcasts are great, but they do not replace the care and community you receive from the local church or from your local pastor. So we encourage you to come, join our community, or contact us to help you find a community in your area. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you listen. Enjoy. Well, good morning, Bethel Community Church. It's so good to be here with you all. We have appreciated, uh, my family and I, getting to the, the, the warm welcome that we've received and getting to meet so many people. And so, yeah, we appreciate getting to, uh, getting finally to be here. And it's especially a privilege for me this morning, because not only do we get to worship with you, but I have the privilege of getting to open up God's word uh, for us this morning. And I believe, and I know you believe, that every time we open up the Bible together, that we get to hear God's voice. And so as we prepare to, to hear and open up the Bible, well, I believe, and I know that as a church, you believe that regardless of where you've been this week, of what's been happening in your life, God wants to speak to you this morning. And so as we prepare to open up God's word, would you pray with me? God, we are thankful that you are God who speaks. That you're God who offers relationship to us. And we ask now that as we prepare to open up your word, that it would be your spirit that speaks to us. So would you soften our hearts and make us sensitive to what you have to say this morning? We pray this in your name. Amen. So I don't know if you guys do this here, but I'm going to do it anyways. Raise your hand if you've ever been in an argument before. Yeah? Okay. Keep your hand raised if you've ever had an argument before with somebody that you love or care about. All right, that's basically, you're in a safe place. So you know, and we know here in this room, what conflict does to a relationship. But what conflict can do to a relationship is it, can, it creates this gap or this wedge in a relationship. And this can be caused with uh, a neighbor or a friend or a coworker with an offhand comment, maybe entering into a conversation with a bad attitude or just simple miscommunication. But what unresolved conflict can do to, to a relationship, I mean, just, you can just even think about if you've ever had to uh, go for a car ride with someone that you have unresolved conflict with? Or you have to, yeah, yeah, you guys know. Or you have to eat a meal with them, or you just walk into a room and there's this heaviness. There's this burden. Because you, you, you know instinctively that there is this gap in your relationship with this person. And we can carry this really heavily, especially in the relationships 
that we care about the most. And so maybe you're even here today and there is unresolved conflict with a relationship with a spouse or with a parent or a child or some other family member. And those things weigh heavily on us. And in, in, in those relationships, whether it be a close family member or it's one of our coworkers, when there's unresolved conflict, what we need is a process of restoration. And that process of restoration in a relationship is typically what we would call reconciliation. That process of restoration in a relationship is what we would call reconciliation. And so I know in a room like this, there's, there are enough relationships to go around or they fe- it feels really urgent for us to be reconciled and restored to our relationships with these people. But what I want to show us this morning from God's word is that our relationship that is in most urgent need of reconciliation isn't just with a person or another human being, but it's with God. The relationship that we are in most urgent need for reconciliation is our relationship with God. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I would encourage you to open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if I could summarize what the Apostle Paul is going to say to us this morning, exhort us to this morning, it would be this. That first be reconciled to God, then help others to do the same. First be reconciled to God, then help others to do the same. And the place where we're going to start reading this morning is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we're reading about, what we are reading about right here is new creation in Christ, and, and how that before Christ came, before the death and resurrection of Jesus, there are these old realities and these old ways of living in, in ways that the world worked. But that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, which Paul, we're picking up in the middle of an argument that Paul is making in this letter, and he's just finished talking about uh, the love of Christ through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And, and through the work of Christ, he is recreating, transforming the world through his life and his death and his resurrection. And that some of these old ways that Paul is talking about is that we, he used to regard people, we, we used to regard people just according to the flesh, even Jesus according to the flesh. So what does that mean? Well, if you think about Paul, who was a Pharisee, he was a Jew, a very zealous Jew, so much so that he persecuted the church. 
the way that he saw Jesus wasn't actually according to who Jesus said he was. It wasn't according to the spiritual reality of who Jesus was. It was through these worldly measurements and standards, and he applied his worldly measurements and standards to Jesus. So as a very zealous Jew, he probably would have seen Jesus and considered what Jesus said about himself being the Son of God, being the promised Messiah, that what Jesus was doing was blasphemy. That that there's no way that this man can call himself the Son of God. And, And even more, watching and having known that Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross, in a Jewish worldview mindset, the standard that they would apply to Jesus is that Jesus was died on a tree and that they would consider people who died on a tree, uh, on, a, on a cross, uh, cursed. And so he's applying his, his worldly measurements and standards to Jesus. And we do this today. This still happens today. It's not very hard to meet people who would not call themselves Christians but to say about Jesus, maybe in a, in, a, in a not very deep, superficial way, oh yeah, I like Jesus. I, I like Jesus. He, he, was, he was a good teacher. You know, we like the things that he taught about, you know, loving other people and turning the other cheek. But if you push a little bit further, what you realize is that the things that he has to say about himself being, the, those very same thing, claims, being the son of God, submitting to him as Lord and master, even to them, that would still appear foolish. See, what Jesus does, what the gospel presents, is foolishness to our worldly standards and measurements. And and to see other people this way is using those same kinds of measurements towards other people. like, give, give me your resume of success. Like, what have you done? How much money do you make? How long have you worked at so-and-so? Who, who have you worked for? Who do you know? See, we can apply these, these same kinds of measurements towards each other. And this is just the way that the world works. And this is the way that the world works until Jesus comes. See, the death and the resurrection of Jesus changes reality. It changes history. It changes us. And so what he's saying is that because of what Christ has done, that actually is, can change the way that we see, well, when we first see Jesus, but then also how we can see and treat others around us. And so he tells us that, that uh, anyone who's in Christ, he's a new creation. God is recreating the world, starting first with Individuals, the new has come through Jesus. And he keeps going. Verse 18. All this, this new transformation, new creation, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
So he's talking about this message and ministry of reconciliation. What is it? What, what is this message that he's talking about? Well, in verse 19, he gives us a hint into what he's speaking about. He says, not counting their trespasses against them. Or uh, we'll skip ahead a little bit to verse 21, and it gives us even more insight to what he's speaking about, of this message of reconciliation. That for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, we are in urgent need to be reconciled to God. Because we were made. When, we, in, in, when God was first creating the world, he made humans to be in perfect relationship with each other and with him. And so when he first created the world, there was no brokenness, there was no sin. Uh, everything was working the way it was supposed to be for human flourishing, for joy, for life. And he gives humans one restriction. To not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if you've been uh, around uh, the Bible or church long enough, you know the story that Satan comes in the form of a serpent to come and tempt uh, Adam and Eve to, to convince them. God is holding out on you. God doesn't have your joy in mind. Actually, God is a liar. If you eat it, you won't actually die. You'll actually get the benefits that he's holding out from you. And we, and we can actually believe these same lies about God and, and what he says. But it's so easy to, to read the Bible or to hear Christian teaching and to feel, it just feels burdensome. It just feels like this list of rules. It just feels like this to-do list and, and don't, don't do this and do these things. And really quickly, if we start to view God that way, if we start to view God's word that way, we start to become the judges and the evaluators of God's word. It's easy for, because just like Adam and Eve, when they listen to the voice of the serpent, when they trust their own capacities to determine what's good and what's not, they're distancing themselves from God. They're telling God, God, we don't trust you. We don't think you know what's best for us. And I actually think I'm smarter than you, God. Because I, this looks good, and you told me not to do it, and I'm going to do it anyways. And when we do that, and, and the, that's what the Bible would call sin, we, when we sin, it separates us from God. It aligns us actually against him. And Ephesians chapter 1, it tells... Paul will tell us, or sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He tells us, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. 
See, when we, when we sin, we align ourselves against God. We're actually following Satan, is what God's word tells us. And, and that we're natu- by nature than children of wrath. We're under, it puts us underneath the wrath of God. In Romans chapter 5, it tells us that our sin makes us the enemies of God. In Romans 6, that the wages, the consequences of sin is death. All that to say... It's an understatement to say that our sin just creates a gap in our relationship with God. Our sin aligns us against God. It it makes us followers of the devil. It makes us enemies against, against him and we're underneath his wrath and we deserve death. This is the severity of how, this is, this is how uh, severe the gravity that in which scripture takes sin is so heavy. And that, that unless, it would be unbearable unless we know Christ. That's why Jesus has to come. Like that's why the Christian message centers around the person of Jesus Christ. Because God, out of compassion towards us, sends his son to live a perfect human life. So he's the only human who doesn't earn death for himself. He doesn't sin. But he dies on a cross. And actually, crucifying somebody was was what the Romans came up with when they asked themselves the question, okay, what's the worst, excruciating, most painful, and embarrassing way that we can punish and kill a criminal? And, And they come up with crucifixion. And so when Jesus comes and he lives a perfect life, he dies the worst death that humans at that time could come up with for punishing and killing criminals and sinners. See, Jesus dies a sinner's death in our place where the wrath of God falls on Jesus for for you and I's sin. And he rises from the dead on the third day, showing us that he is Defeated sin and death. He's conquered the grave. So that, for, so that those who would place their faith in Christ. Give their life to Jesus. Would be reconciled to God. See this is the message. Of reconciliation. That God is reconciling the world. To himself. Through Jesus. Now, one of the things that I want to point out in this passage is who's doing the reconciling? Who's taking initiative? Well, in verse 18, it says, God is the one who reconciled us to himself. Verse 19 says that God was reconciling the world to himself. And so so we are on the receiving end of an act of God. See, being reconciled to God is God's initiative and purpose. Being reconciled to God is God's initiative and purpose. He's the only one who can make it possible 
for us to be reconciled to him. See, we were enemies. We didn't consider God. We didn't pay any attention to God. Before we even noticed or cared about who God was, he took initiative towards us. What this means is that he is the, he, he's the one who starts our salvation. He's the one who finishes and accomplishes our salvation. So, so if you are here and you would call yourself a Christian and you doubt, can God really love me? Can God really forgive me? Do I do? I feel like I'm a terrible Christian. I don't read my Bible enough. I don't pray enough. I don't share my faith enough. I don't feel like I'm a good enough Christian. Can God really love me? Am I really saved? And what I want to tell you from God's word is that God is the one who initiated your salvation and he will complete it. See, the weight and the burden of your salvation does not rest on you, but on Jesus. And it doesn't, and you are not even saved based on the strength of your faith. And I'm stealing an illustration that I heard um, a while ago. But uh, imagine that there's two different people getting on a plane. One is deathly afraid of flying, they're, they're afraid that the plane, they're, they're not going to land, that the plane's not going to make it, and they're there the whole time. I mean, they're sweating bullets on the plane. And then the guy next to them has flown a million times, doesn't break a sweat, takes a nap. They both land in the tarmac. They both make it to the end. See, all it takes is for them to get on the plane, but does not depend on their faith in the plane for them to land. Your salvation does not depend on your strength of faith, but that your faith, but the object of your faith, which is Jesus Christ. And he accomplishes your salvation. Even if you're sweating bullets the whole time. And what this means, that the fact that God is in the business of reconciling the world to himself through Jesus is that if for those of us who have faith in Jesus and in God's word, that the future is bright, that we don't have to despair. And it's easy, right? It's easy right now in our, in our day, in our time, to look around at what's happening in the world and to despair. And there's these wars happening. There's so much division in our country. It feels like no one can get along. Like, what's going to happen? And to ask ourselves, like, what kind of world are my kids or are my grandkids going to inherit? What are they going to have to go through? Can you even be a Christian in this country anymore? And, and to be asking all of these questions and, and to be reminded, wait, wait, God is going to accomplish what he intended to do. God is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus and Jesus wins. See, God is building his kingdom here. He is building his church and he will not fail. And the future is bright. What he offers to us as individuals is everlasting life with him, with joy and peace, where all, all the things that are wrong with the world will be made right. All the suffering will be removed. See, God is recreating the world, one individual at a time. And the, that life that he's offering is actually offered to us, not one day when we die, but it begins now. Not that we have this full removal of sin and suffering, but that God actually does offer you today real joy. He doesn't offer you future joy. 
He offers you joy and peace for today. He offers you life, not one day, but for today. See, this is good news. And this is such good news that we are not just to keep this to ourselves. And this is where Paul goes, uh, starting in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Now, the question that I have for us before we move on is, are you reconciled to God? Or do you have a restored relationship with your creator? See, before we, can, before we move on, this is the most important thing that we could ever do is to be reconciled to God. And maybe you're here and maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Maybe someone dragged you to church today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Or maybe you're here and you've been around church uh, and you've been around uh, Christian teaching for maybe even for a long time now, but you know for yourself that you've never fully surrendered your life to, to Christ. You know that there's always been some piece of your heart, of your life, that you've held back from God, being afraid of what, uh, what, what he might do. And what I want to encourage you today is that placing your face, surrendering your life to Jesus, is the best thing that you could ever do and that you will not regret it. Because life with God is actually what you were made for. And maybe you're here and, you would, and, and you've been following Jesus. And maybe you've been following Jesus a long time. And what I, want to, what I want to encourage you today is to have a fresh joy over your salvation. Like, Can you believe that God would send his only son for us while we were his enemies? And this truth has actually just become more and more rich to me as uh, this last year we had our first kid. We had our first child, and, and I have a son. My only son, who I love, who bears my image. And I cannot imagine giving him up for anybody, let alone my enemies. And yet God, out of his compassion and mercy, when he looked at his enemies, gave up his son so that we might be reconciled to him. See, even if you've been a Christian a long time, that's, that's good news for today. That's what we need. And what Paul tells us today is first be reconciled to God and then help others to do the same. See, God appeals through us. God appeals through us. He calls us the ambassadors for Christ. What's, what's an ambassador? An, an ambassador is an official representative. An ambassador is an official representative. So uh, the United States, we have ambassadors that represent our country and countries all around the world. 
and they act and they speak on the behalf of the United States. So much so that if one of our ambas- the American ambassadors are threatened or they uh, or they are speaking and doing formal arrangements with other foreign leaders. It's as though America has been threatened, or it's as though that they are dealing with America themselves. So what this means, if we are the ambassadors for Christ, if we have our faith in him, if we follow Jesus, when you share this message of reconciliation with your unbelieving friends or neighbors, it's as though God himself is speaking. See, God makes his appeal to the world. God speaks to the world. But he, but he, and, he could, and he could do this. He could do this through blowing up fireworks in the sky. He could do these awesome, these awesome crazy things. He could speak an audible voice so that the whole world would hear the gospel. And he could do that. He is omnipotent. He is God. And the way, the ordained means by which God wants to get this message out to the world is through Christians. Can you believe that? If you are a follower of Jesus, you are God's plan A for how the message of the gospel gets out to the world. And so maybe you're here and you are a believer. And you're not a pastor. You're not a missionary. You may not even have a formal role in which you're serving at the church. But what God's word is telling you today is that you have a ministry. See, if you are a Christian, you have a ministry, a ministry of representing Christ himself. See, you are an ambassador, not of this country, but some foreign country, the kingdom of God. You represent the kingdom of heaven to all of those who don't know Jesus. See, the primary way, the, the way that God intends for, to, to reach even the neighborhood that we stand here right now is through Bethel Community Church. See, God's primary ways of reaching your unbelieving coworkers or your neighbors is through you. The primary way in which God wants to reach your unbelieving family members or the other people in your world is through you. Now, because God is the one who appeals through us, because, it's, because we're just representing somebody else, someone else, it's not our word. It's not our job to change hearts. It's not our job to save people. Jesus saves people. So we have freedom that even if throughout your whole Christian life that not a single person comes to faith through you, but you've been a faithful witness to Jesus. What you will hear from God is well done, good and faithful servant. See, your job is to be a faithful witness. Your job is to be a faithful appealer. Jesus changes hearts. God saves people. We just need to be faithful ambassadors. So yes, be, be intentional, take your opportunities, steward well the relationships that you have with your unbelieving neighbors, with your unbelieving friends and family, uh, with your banker, with the grocer at Jewel. Well, you, you know, like, these are opportunities and relationships that God is placing us in. 
But know that as we seek to be faithful witnesses, God changes hearts. But it's been one of my greatest joys as someone who works in youth ministry to watch and see baptized middle school and high school students who've not grown up around the gospel, who've not grown up around the church, who've not grown up around Jesus, and who come to faith because of their friends. Some who are 6th, 7th, 8th grade. See, it's, it's amazing. God actually wants to use us. And this is the way that God intends to get the message out. And it's through the message of the gospel that God saves people. And so what I want to embolden us to today is that God actually wants to use you, Christian, to speak the gospel so that people would come to know Jesus for the very first time. See, it's easy to look around and to feel like the world that we live in is very dark. There's a lot of depravity. There's, there's, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of destruction. And the place that we need to start, the, the place that should give us hope, is that there is never a time in which the gospel stops being God's power for salvation. The gospel is the way that God saves people. The gospel is the hope for our world. The gospel is our hope. Church, God wants to use you. And I'm encouraged that as I've been in conversation with leadership, we, this, this place, this church wants to be the kind of church that, that grows, but grows by lost people being found. That grows by sinners coming to repentance. That reaches, that reaches our neighbors for the gospel, that we would see more and more people come to know, to, to come and be part of Bethel Community Church, but, but because they were people who didn't know Jesus and have surrendered their life to him. Church, be reconciled to God and then help others to do the same. Let's pray. God, we are thankful that you offer your son, that you extend uh, the opportunity for forgiveness and for reconciliation with you. And so God, if there are people in this room who just need, maybe need to be reminded or hear for the first time that you love them and that you've sent your son for them, God, I ask that your spirit would be moving in their hearts. And God, I pray that for those of us who are following you, that that message would be fresh. But then, Lord, that you would give us courage, gospel courage, to be witnesses and faithful ambassadors for you. That the world might know your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.